This episode of Contracting Conversations is brought to you by BSCAI's Contractor Connections Content Hub. Browse recent articles providing insights on industry trends, profiles on influential speakers and industry leaders, tips to help your business succeed, and more. Visit bscaiorg contractor connections. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, a podcast series from the Building Service Contractors Association International. Through a series of interviews with entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives, this podcast aims to provide insights, trends, and tactics to support the growth and development of business owners serving the contract cleaning and facility maintenance industry. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, the official podcast of BSCAI. I'm your host, Lauren Leocoris. On this episode, I speak with Dan Genghis, Customer Experience Coach and 2022 Contracting Success Keynote Speaker, about his passion for marketing, challenges relative to improving the customer experience, as well as a sneak preview of his upcoming keynote session. Support for Contracting Conversations comes from our premier partners, 3M, Diversi, Karcher, and Team Software. Learn more about our partners and their category-leading solutions for contractors at bscaiorg partners. Dan, thank you so much for being part of the Contracting Conversations podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Lauren. I'm very excited for the conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So Dan, my first question for you is, when did you first realize you had a passion for marketing? You know, it's a funny question because when I was in college, which was quite a while ago, I double majored in psychology and communications. At the time, that was basically because I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. I ended up going into marketing almost by accident, but it didn't take me long to realize that marketing basically is psychology and communications. (laughs) So I worked in marketing for four plus years before ever taking my first marketing class, which happened when I went back to business school later. But it really turned out to be just the skills I had developed and learned about applied in a different way. And I remember when I started, and this does date me a little bit, but The first company I worked for was one of the largest direct mailers in the US. So we were using snail mail most of all. And I remember now somewhat humorously doing these marketing campaigns and then thinking about how magical it was that in just a week or two, I'd be able to hear the customer's response and see how many products I could sell. And now, of course, it's like in the first hour or two, you can do that. But it really did, and I still believe today, that direct mail can teach you everything you need to know about how to market digitally as well. Absolutely. And I think you might be the first person to mention psychology as a facet of marketing. And it's so true, right? Because the foundation of marketing is just understanding human behavior <laughs> and, you know, and then trying to influence and it. And then trying to influence it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what would you say specifically drives your passion for marketing? Well, interestingly, I mean, I was a marketer for 20 plus years, and I ended up going to work for some very big brands you've definitely heard of, Discover, McDonald's, Humana. And eventually, I and I probably led teams in almost every marketing channel, other than I never really did television or radio, but pretty much everything digital, all the channels. And 
What's funny is at some point I felt like I lost my passion for marketing in the sense that you remember that there was an old Dunkin' Donuts commercial where the guy woke up in the morning and he'd say, time to make the donuts. Like it was just another day, right? And that's kind of how I felt about marketing campaigns. I'm like, man, if I never have to do another email campaign again, it's going to be too soon. And that was also about the time where I started falling in love with customer experience. And I, even today, feel like I sit at the intersection of customer experience and marketing because I think they are so incredibly related. But that's where I really found my passion is it's if you sort of come back to the, okay, it's understanding human behavior and trying to influence it, but then also understanding that that is an ongoing thing. It's not just getting them in the door. It's not just about that first sale. It's about how do we keep them? How do we provide experiences for them that they want to talk to people about and not only get them to stay, but get them to tell their friends and colleagues and family so that they can be our own referral engine? And ironically, that's what we call word of mouth marketing, which my belief is the best way to get word of mouth marketing is through customer experience. Definitely. Yeah, I think too, just with the sheer volume of information that gets passed digitally or you know even talking about those tangible in-person marketing materials i mean it's it's harder than ever to actually retain someone for more than half a second and let alone convince them to tell other people that they should buy into it so we definitely have our work cut out for us i think in the marketing world yeah the image that i always think about is an archery target so if you've ever seen an archery target it's got the colorful rings yeah and it's got a lot of holes in it and you see that some of the holes have hit the bullseye. And then there's holes that are in the next ring and the next ring and the next ring out. And then there's some that are way on the edge of the target. And of course, what you don't see are the times where they miss the target entirely. And I think of that when I think of what it looks like to customers when all of this marketing's flying at them at once is that there's just all this stuff, all these holes, all these arrows coming at us, and only a few of them hit the bullseye. The rest of them are just sort of there and they're bothersome or they're aggravating or it's not the right time or whatever it is. But being aware of the fact that the person you're trying to attract, there's a thousand other companies that are trying to attract them for either the same reason or for different reasons. And that's one of the challenges is that's what we're competing against every single day. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a perfect segue into my next question. So can you speak to some more of those common challenges relative to improving customer experiences and overall retention rates as it pertains to your brand, other brands, et cetera? Yeah. Well, the biggest challenge is that Still today, in 2022, companies are spending way more money on sales and marketing than they are on the actual customers that are already in the building. And as I like to say, the ones that are keeping the lights on, the ones that are paying our salaries, these are the most important asset we have as a company, followed very shortly by employees. And we're not spending any money trying to keep them. We just have this sales and marketing wheel that constantly turns and it's about bringing in new names, new names, new names. But what if we spent just a little bit of time trying to keep the ones that we have? And it's remarkable when you do that, how much faster your business can grow. Because when you provide great experiences for people, they spend more, they stay longer, and they tell other people. And I mean, that is the holy trinity, right, of, of, of marketing and how we grow our business. So that's probably the first challenge. I think the second one 
comes from a great stat from the Harvard Business Review that says that the number one most impactful thing about customer loyalty is reducing customer effort. And so many times in so many companies, we make it really, really difficult to do business with us. It's overly complex. There's too many forms. They're still on paper. We have long hold times. We want people to self-serve, but they can't find what they're looking for. We make it so hard on people. And one of the first pieces of advice that I always give to companies is let's look for the places where we're making it hard and let's just make it easy. Because that alone, that's that fix alone changes people's entire perceptions about doing business with you. Yeah, just that air of convenience to maintaining that specific relationship with a company. Yeah, I mean, for example, we might have built something that made a ton of sense at the time that takes three clicks for the customer to get to from the homepage. Well, what if we challenged ourselves to reduce that to two clicks mm -hmm. or even one click or even zero clicks. What if we made that thing show up automatically once they log in so that they don't have to click at all to get to it? Yeah. What we see when we do that is it drastically improves customer satisfaction because the customer sitting there saying, this company knows me. How do they know that I wanted to do that? When I was at a credit card company, we found, you know what? The number one reason why people check come onto the website is to look at their recent transactions. We know that because we see them doing it. But we had, it was three clicks to get to your recent transactions. The simple move of creating, we were, and Discover was the first company to do this. Now everybody does this, but of creating a Facebook-like feed on the homepage with your recent transactions, that simple change, I think is one of the biggest reasons why Discover won the JD Power Award for customer satisfaction the year we did that was because we said, hey, why don't we just make it easy for people? I used to joke with my team and say, I hate to ruin everybody's day. But none of our customers wakes up in the morning wanting to come to our website. I know we spend our entire day focused on this website, but our customers, they don't want to be here. They're coming because they have to. So why don't we see if we can make their stay as quick, as, as short as possible? And sure enough, customer satisfaction scores went through the roof because customers were like, this company gets me. They, get, they knew exactly why I was here. They gave me the information and now I can go about my day. And so... I always suggest think through your company's organization and think through your customer experience and where do people just want to be in and out to make it fast and convenient? And what are you doing to stand in their way? Yeah, I was going to ask a follow-up question. Do you see more often than not that it has to do with just kind of an unawareness of that gap and, you know, identifying those points of improvement? Or is it just, you know what, we don't necessarily have the budget to make those changes right now? Is that a future planning thing that we can address? So that's a great question. And I am a very strong believer that customer experience does not have to be a multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational process. I believe that customer, the great customer experience is really just a series of little things. It might be a long series of little things. And I, spoiler alert, it is a never-ending series of little things because as soon as we think we have a perfect customer experience, our customers' expectations will change and we'll have to readapt. So I do think it's an awareness. And one of the best ways to become more aware, if you think about in almost every business, we view our business through a one-way mirror. We're sitting in an office and we are looking at the customer. 
Instead, we need to turn around and we need to be the customer looking at us. It's literally looking at the opposite viewpoint. And so you think about all of the services that are provided in buildings and you think about the viewpoint that we have is the person running the machine or the person doing the work. We're not ever looking at the person sitting in the office who can't finish a phone call because there's a machine out in the hallway that's so loud that they can't get their work done, right? Nobody's ever thinking about that. And so these are the examples where if we just simply flip our viewpoint, and, and as I like to say, become a customer of your own company, which may be very difficult to be, but a different way to say it would be put yourself in the shoes of your own customer and just see how are they taking in the experience of working with you. And you know, for some services, the customer just wants it completely in the background. They just want it done and they don't want to hear, know about it, hear about it. For other services, it's very visual and you almost want to see, you know, during COVID, we wanted to see people cleaning things. Like that was important because then it made us feel better that things were clean. So there's different times where we want to be visible versus invisible. And again, the best way to see that is just to turn your viewpoint and to view it from the customer's perspective. Yeah, when you're in the trenches, I feel like it's so easy to forget that you are also a consumer and a user every day. <laughs> and it's but, and, taking the and time to step back and being like, oh yeah, these things are also important to me in my everyday life. Yes, and you're, you're so spot on. If, if there's something that a company does that annoys you, don't do it to your customers. Yeah. Right? This is why I still to this day refuse to have a pop-up ad on my website, even though lots of other speakers and consultants do it and they tell me that it works for them. The problem is I hate pop-up ads. They annoy the heck out of me. So I am not going to annoy the heck out of my customers. It's just, it's a rule that I make. And you know, yeah, it makes my life a little bit harder. I remember having the conversation at one company I worked for where I was making that same argument about pop-up ads and the marketing team said, yeah, but yeah, we get a 6% click-through rate. That's like amazing. And I said, yeah, that means 94% of people are pissed off at us because we put a pop-up ad in front of them. Right. So let's be real about what we're really doing here. And yes, maybe there's a different way we can make that same revenue by being less invasive to everybody else. Yeah, I totally agree. So Dan, you talked about this a little bit, obviously, but is there anything else you want to address as far as the approach to improving customer experiences, better understanding the customer experience, and especially to those business owners that may not necessarily have a formal strategy in place. Yeah, so I have developed a framework that I use in my speeches and in my book that is about creating the kinds of experiences that people want to talk about. And it's based on this research that showed that consumers in general share only two kinds of experiences. We share really great experiences and really bad experiences. Nobody's ever said, let me tell you about the perfectly average restaurant I went to last night. It's just not what we share, right? So if you're going to have your customers share, wouldn't you rather have them share a positive experience? And so my framework teaches companies how to do that. What are the elements of an experience that, and we've all been there, right? Think about the last time that you reached into your pocket or your purse and you pulled out your phone because you just had to take a picture of what was happening. What caused you to do that? No one told you to do it. Nobody, there wasn't a sign that said, follow us on Instagram and tag us and use our hashtag. You just did it because it was something you wanted to capture in your life. 
this is what I teach is how do we do this? No matter what industry we're in, no matter what business we're in, we can create those kinds of experiences for people that are surprising, that get them to stop, that get them to say, I want to tell somebody about this because I didn't expect this. Let me give you an example that is sort of not exactly in your industry, but it's somewhat related in that it's a service industry. When I worked for Humana, I, uh, which is in the healthcare business, they're based in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm based in Chicago. So I found myself commuting to Louisville twice a month, and I stayed in the same hotel every time to the point where when I walked in, like I was two steps in and they were already saying, welcome back, Mr. Gingas. Like it was pretty nice. Well, one day I went up to my room and on the pillow was a miniature bottle of bourbon because Kentucky is the bourbon capital of the world. And I was like, man, what a clever thing for a hotel to do that is totally unexpected. Now, a mint on my pillow? Okay, I've seen that one before, right? Little bottles of shampoo? Yeah, I've seen that one before. But a mini bottle of bourbon? Wow, that was really cool. And a little note that said, you know, thanks so much for being our guest and what have you. You bet I took a picture of that and shared it on social media and tagged the hotel. They didn't ask me to. There wasn't, there was no share logo or no request. It's just they knew that this was a moment that somebody was going to appreciate. And even if they don't take a picture of it, it's fine. Maybe I go home and I tell my significant other, or maybe there are other peers of mine that are traveling to Louisville. And I say, you got to stay in this hotel because they do X, Y, Z. It's about where finding the places in your process, whatever it is, where you can have that moment with a customer. Does that little bottle of bourbon cost them much? No, it's like $2.50. It's not a huge investment. And I think what I one of the things that I found from working in corporate America for 20 years is I know how hard it is to get things done. And so I make sure that all the examples that I share go through three filters. They're simple, they're practical, and they're inexpensive, which basically means anyone can do that. So one of the four facets that I was referring to about creating experiences talks about being extraordinary and how As I mentioned, nobody shares ordinary experiences, but being extraordinary doesn't have to be fantastical. It just has to be a little better than ordinary. So I love to tell the joke that if you really want to be extraordinary and money is no object, then what I suggest you do is invite all of your clients to a private Beyonce concert. And while we're at it, let's finish it with a private fireworks show. Okay. Now, if you have $20 million lying around, that is going to be an extraordinary experience. But I'm guessing that most, if not all of the listeners of this podcast don't have that kind of cash lying around. And so it's not realistic, but there are plenty of examples that are improvements to the experience, memorable improvements, ones where people want to talk about it and tell other people that don't cost any money at all, or that cost as little as $2.50. It's not a $20 million investment. And I think that if we can think of experience in that way, that this doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be shooting off fireworks with a Beyonce concert. It can just be something simple and practical and inexpensive. And I think, you know, we as consumers, we're always looking for an element of surprise when being, you know, quote unquote, sold to with anything. And we're obviously super visual. I mean, how many times do you take a picture of some crazy meal that you got from like a food truck or in like some beer garden somewhere? You haven't even tasted it yet, but you're like, I know I just want to capture whatever this is. I know it's resonating with me. 
and yeah, to your point about the bourbon, it's like, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, well, I've never seen that before. That's surprising. Yeah. That's exciting to me. So I want to share that experience with other people. Exactly. And one of the things that I have found that I think is very applicable for your industry is that an easy and usually free way to alter the experience is through communication, mm -hmm. however you communicate. Now in a building, there's a lot of signage around. That signage, every piece of signage is an opportunity for an experience. The question is, are we going to use the same words on our sign that everybody else uses, or are we going to use something different that stands out? One of my favorite examples is a, a restaurant in Chicago that instead of using the international symbol for the bathroom, and you know what it looks like, it's the little male and female symbol, they use a lit up poop emoji. And it's like, oh my gosh, Like it's not like I don't know what they're trying to communicate. Like I know exactly where the bathroom is, but I'm also laughing. And you guys can't see because you're listening right now, but Lauren's laughing <laughs> with me telling this story. And the point is, it's a memorable moment where no one expected to have a memorable moment. But that's what makes it great. They had to put up a sign anyway. And so I don't think the incremental cost was anything more. But it was just, there's a, it shows a, it shows that there was a human being there somewhere that was sort of thinking through this. And as humans, and man, if the last two and a half years didn't teach us this, I don't know what it taught us. As humans, we crave experience with other humans. And so the more you can turn your business, the more you can lean on the humanity of your business or the, the humans behind your business, the more you're going to affect the experience for your customers. And sometimes it is just as simple as a sign. It doesn't have to be anything big. What restaurant? I'm curious. It's called Sushi-san in Chicago. It's a Let Us Entertain You restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I'm based in Chicago. That's why I was asking. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> yep. It's awesome. I mean, it, and it's it like, it's so simple yeah. um, and yet totally memorable. I love it. So Dan, how would you say positive customer experiences stand to improve overall business operations? Sure. So let's look at how companies make a profit. They increase revenue and they reduce costs. And the good thing about customer experience is it does both of those things. So how does it increase revenue? Well, we know that people want to do business with companies that provide a great experience. And so we will gain new customers this way. We'll also, as I mentioned before, keep our customers longer, get them to spend more and get them to become a referral engine for us. All of these things drive revenue. The other piece of the puzzle, though, is cost. And what's fascinating, there's a quote in my book that I wish I said, but I wasn't smart enough to say it. But this guy said that customer service is what happens when customer experience breaks. Think about it. When do we call customer service? Not to tell them hello and hey, you're doing a great job. We call because something got screwed up, because our expectations weren't met, something broke, because we're unhappy. So if we want to have no customer service costs, just create a perfect customer experience, which of course I told you before is not possible. However, when we fix problem points, pain points for customers, when we reduce customer effort, when we get out of their way, when we make it easier for them, when we provide self-service options, we will reduce our customer service costs. They won't call us as often. They won't email us as often. They won't need our help as often. And we can redivert those resources to something else. So to me, and then, of course, there there's tons of research that shows that companies that are known for being great at customer experience and, by the way, great at employee experience, they're very related, 
they outperform the stock market. They outperform laggards, people who are you know, companies that are not good at these things. They are far more profitable because customer satisfaction is a driver of loyalty and loyalty is a driver of revenue. And, you know, it all kind of adds up. So one of the things that I bristle at is when people think customer experience is like a soft skill. It's not like finance. That's a that's a hard skill, right? No, this is just as important as your finance department, your marketing department, your sales department, or any other department in that it focuses on the core population that is making your company money. And when we make those people happy and they stay with us and they're happy to do business with us and tell their friends, guess what? We make more money. Absolutely. And then Dan, my last question for you is, what can contracting success attendees expect to take away from your keynote address? Well, first of all, my keynote address is going to be different than anything else you hear that day. I promise. And I don't even know the agenda, but I promise. Part of it is I love to have fun on stage. I love to create fun for the audience. After all, I am going to teach you how to create the kinds of experiences that people want to talk about. And so I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to create an experience for you in the audience so that you can see what it looks like. And you say, wow, he's actually doing what he's teaching us to do. And so we're going to have a lot of fun. The other thing to look forward to is I love to teach by example, by storytelling. So I don't believe that you have to listen to me just because I'm the one standing on stage. I want you to listen to me because I'm going to show you through tons of real life examples, companies that are doing this and that are doing it successfully and that are happier customers who are staying longer, spending more and telling their friends. And so I'm going to bring to you dozens of examples Many slash most of them will not be in the building service industry. And that's going to be very intentional because you are going to probably spend the rest of the conference talking about your industry. And so I'm going to bring in some examples from totally different industries. But what I promise to you is I'm going to tie it back to why this is relevant to you. So we're going to talk about Universal Studios and we're going to talk about Chewy.com. And we're going to talk about some companies you've never heard of that are doing amazing things and I'm going to bring it back to why this is important to you. So I just ask that you be willing to stretch your mind for a few minutes and, and talk about some other companies. And I promise it will be both fun and educational. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I greatly enjoyed our conversation. And for our listeners, be sure to catch Dan's keynote address at this year's event from October 12th to the 14th. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contracting Conversations from BSCAI. If you liked what you heard and want to find out more or listen to previous episodes, head over to bscaiorg podcast. There, you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss industry news, updates, and great tips. Subscribe to Contracting Conversations on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And learn more about our community on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube.